two of the giant's heart from the light princess and other fairy tales by george macdonald this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by clive catterall part 2 of the giant's heart from the light princess and other fairy tales by george macdonald now, close beside them, in a hollow, was another nest, in which lay a lark and his wife. And the children were awakened very early in the morning by a dispute between Mr. and Mrs. Lark. "'Let me up,' said the lark. "'It is not time,' said the lark's wife. "'It is,' said the lark rather rudely. "'The darkness is quite thin. I can almost see my own beak.' "'Nonsense,' said the lark's wife. "'You know you came home yesterday morning quite worn out. "'You had to fly so very high before you saw him. "'I am sure he would not mind if you took it a little easier. "'Do be quiet and go to sleep again.' "'That's not it at all,' said the lark. "'He doesn't want me. I want him. "'Let me up, I say.' "'He began to sing, and Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob, "'having now learned the way, answered him. "'I will sing a song. I'm the lark. Sing, sing, throat strong, little kill the dark. Now what will you sing about? What will you sing about now the night is out? I can only call, I can't think. Let me up, that's all, let me drink. Thirsting all the long night for a drink of light. By this time the lark was standing on the edge of his nest, and looking at the children. Poor little things, you can't fly, said the lark. No, but we can look up said Trixie. Ah, you don't know what it is to see the very first of the sun. But we know what it is to wait till he comes. He's no worse for your seeing him first, is he? Oh, no, certainly not, answered the lark, with condescension, and then, bursting into his jubilante, he sprang aloft, clapping his wings like a clock running down. Tell us where— began Buffy Bob, but the lark was out of sight. His song was all that was left of him. That was everywhere, and he was nowhere. "'Selfish bird,' said Buffy. "'It's all very well for larks to go hunting the sun, but they have no business to despise their neighbours for all that.' "'Can I be of any use to you?' said a sweet bird-voice out of the nest. This was the lark's wife, who stayed at home with the young larks while her husband went to church. "'Oh, thank you, if you please,' answered Trixie Wee. And up popped a pretty brown head, and then up came a brown feathery body, and last of all came the slender legs onto the edge of the nest. There she turned, and looking down into the nest, from which came a litany of chirpings for breakfast, said, Lie still, little ones. Then she turned to the children. My husband is king of the larks, she said. Buffy Bob took off his cap, and Trixie Wee curtsied very low. "'Oh, no, it's not me,' said the bird, looking very shy. "'I'm only his wife. It's my husband.' And she looked up after him into the sky, whence his song was still falling like a shower of musical hailstones. Perhaps she could see him. "'He's a splendid bird,' said Buffy Bob. "'Only, you know, he will get up a little too early.' "'Oh, no, he doesn't. It's only his way, you know. But tell me what I can do for you. "'Tell us, please, Lady Lark, where the she-eagle lives that sits on giant Thunderthump's heart.' 
Oh, that is a secret. Did you promise not to tell? No, but larks ought to be discreet. They see more than other birds. But you don't fly up high like your husband, do you? Not often, but it's no matter. I come to know things for all that. Do tell me, and I will sing you a song, said Trixie Wee. Can you sing too? You've got no wings. Yes, and I will sing you a song I learned the other day about a lark and his wife. Please do, said the lark's wife. Be quiet, children, and listen. Trixie Wee was very glad she happened to know a song which would please the lark's wife at least, whatever the lark himself might have thought of it if he had heard it. So she sang. Good morrow, my lord, in the sky alone, sang the lark as the sun ascended his throne. Shine on me, lord, I only am come of all your servants to welcome you home. I have flown a whole hour right up, I swear, to catch the first shine of your golden hair. Must I thank you, then, said the king, Sir Lark, for flying so high and hating the dark. You ask a full cup for half a thirst. Half is love of me, and half love to be first. There's many a bird that makes no haste, but waits till I come. That's as much to my taste. And the king hid his head in a turban of cloud, and the lark stopped singing, quite vexed and cowed. But he flew up higher, and thought, Anon the wrath of the king will be over and gone, and his crown, shining out of its cloudy fold, will change my brown feathers to a glory of gold. So he flew with the strength of a lark he flew, but as he rose the cloud rose too, and not a gleam of the golden hair came through the depth of the misty air, till, weary with flying, with sighing sore, the strong sun-seeker could do no more. His wings had had no chrism of gold, and his feathers felt withered and worn and old. So he quivered and sank and dropped like a stone, and there on his nest, where he left her alone, sat his little wife on her little eggs, keeping them warm with wings and legs. Did I say alone? Ah, no such thing! Full in her face was shining the king. Welcome, Sir Lark, you look tired, said he. Up is not always the best way to me. While you have been singing so high and away, I've been shining to your little wife all day. He had set his crown all about the nest, and out of the midst shone her little brown breast, and so glorious was she in russet gold, that for wonder and awe Sir Lark grew cold. He popped his head under her wing and lay as still as a stone till the king was away. As soon as Trixie Wee had finished her song, the lark's wife began a low, sweet, modest little song of her own, and after she had piped away for two or three minutes, she said, "'You dear children, what can I do for you?' "'Tell us where the she-eagle lives, please,' said Trixie Wee. "'Well, I don't think there can be much harm in telling such wise good children,' said Lady Lark. "'I'm sure you don't want to do any mischief.' "'Oh, no, quite the contrary,' said Buffy Bob. Then I'll tell you. She lives on the very topmost peak of Mount Skycrack, and the only way to get up is to climb on the spider's webs that cover it from top to bottom. That's rather serious, said Trixie Wee. But you don't want to go up, you foolish little thing. You can't go. And what do you want to go up for? That is a secret, said Trixie Wee. 
"'Well, it's no business of mine,' rejoined Lady Lark, a little offended, and quite vexed that she had told them. So she flew away to find some breakfast for her little ones, who by this time were chirping very impatiently. The children looked at each other, joined hands, and walked off. In a minute more the sun was up, and they soon reached the outside of the tree. The bark was so knobby and rough, and full of twigs, that they managed to get down, though not without great difficulty. Then, far away to the north, they saw a huge peak, like the spire of a church, going right up into the sky. They thought this must be Mount Skycrack, and turned their faces towards it. As they went on, they saw a giant or two now and then, striding about the fields or through the woods, but they kept out of their way. Nor were they in much danger, for it was only one or two of the border giants that were so very fond of children. At last they came to the foot of Mount Skycrack. It stood in a plain alone, and shot right up I don't know how many thousand feet into the air, a long, narrow, spear-like mountain. The whole face of it, from top to bottom, was covered with a network of spider's webs, with the threads of various sizes, from that of silk to that of whipcord. The webs shook and quivered, and waved in the sun, glittering like silver. All about ran huge greedy spiders, catching huge silly flies and devouring them. Here they sat down to consider what could be done. The spiders did not heed them, but ate away at the flies. Now at the foot of the mountain and all around it was a ring of water, not very broad, but very deep. As they sat watching them, one of the spiders, whose web was woven across this water, somehow or other lost his hold and fell in on his back. Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob ran to his assistance, and laying hold each of one of his legs, succeeded with the help of the other legs, which struggled spiderfully, in getting him out upon dry land. As soon as he had shaken himself and dried himself a little, the spider turned to the children, saying, "'And now, what can I do for you?' "'Tell us, please,' said they, "'how we can get up the mountain to the she-eagle's nest.' "'Nothing is easier,' answered the spider. "'Just run up there, and tell them all I sent you, and nobody will mind you.' "'But we haven't got claws like you, Mr. Spider,' said Buffy. Uh, "'No more you have, poor unprovided creatures. "'Still, I think we can manage it. "'Come home with me.' "'You won't eat us, will you?' said Buffy. "'My dear child,' answered the spider, in a tone of injured dignity, "'I eat nothing but what is mischievous or useless. "'You have helped me, and now I will help you.' The children rose at once, and climbing as well as they could, reached the spider's nest in the very centre of the web. Nor did they find it very difficult, for whenever too great a gap came, the spider, spinning a strong cord, stretched it just where they would have chosen to put their foot next. He left them in his nest after bringing them two enormous honey-bags taken from bees that he had caught, but presently about six of the wisest of the spiders came back with him. It was rather horrible to look up and see them all around the mouth of the nest, looking down on them in contemplation, as if wondering whether they would be nice eating. At length one of them said, "'Tell us truly what you want with the eagle, 
and we will try to help you. Then Trixie Wee told them that there was a giant on the borders who treated little children no better than radishes, and that they had narrowly escaped being eaten by him, that they had found out that the great she-eagle of Mount Skycrack was at present sitting on his heart, and that, if they could only get hold of the heart, they would soon teach the giant better behaviour. But, said the host, if you get at the heart of the giant, you will find it as large as one of your elephants. What can you do with it? The least scratch will kill it, replied Buffy Bob. Ah, but you might do better than that, said the spider, now we have resolved to help you. Here is a little bag of spider juice. The giants cannot bear spiders, and this juice is dreadful poison to them. We are all ready to go up with you and drive the eagle away. Then you must put the heart into this other bag and bring it down with you, for then the giant will be in your power. But how can we do that? said Buffy. The bag is not much bigger than a pudding bag. But it is as large as you will be able to carry. Yes, but what are we to do with the heart? Put it in the bag, to be sure. Only first you must squeeze a drop out of the other bag upon it. You will see what will happen. Very well, we will do as you tell us, said Trixie Wee. And now, if you please, how shall we go? Oh, that's our business, said the first spider. You come with me, and my grandfather will take your brother. Get up. So Trixie Wee mounted on the narrow part of the spider's back, and held fast. And Buffy Bob got on the grandfather's back. And up they scrambled, over one web after another, up and up so fast. And every spider followed, so that when Trixie Wee looked back, she saw a whole army of spiders scrambling after them. "'What can we want with so many?' she thought. But she said nothing. The moon was now up, and it was a splendid sight below and around them. All giant land was spread out under them, with its great hills, lakes, trees and animals. And all above them was the clear heaven, and Mount Skycrack rising into it, with its endless ladders of spider-webs, glittering like cords made of moonbeams. And up the moonbeams went, crawling and scrambling and racing, a huge army of spiders. At length they reached all but the very summit, where they stopped. Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob could see above them a great globe of feathers that finished off the mountain like an ornamental knob. "'But how shall we drive her off?' said Buffy. "'We'll soon manage that,' answered the grandfather spider. "'Come on, you, down there.' Up rushed the whole army, past the children, over the edge of the nest, on to the she-eagle, and buried themselves in her feathers. In a moment she became very restless, and went pecking about her with her beak. All at once she spread out her wings, with a sound like a whirlwind, and flew off to bathe in the sea. And then the spiders began to drop from her nest in all directions on their gossamer wings. The children had to hold fast to keep the wind of the eagle's flight from blowing them off. As soon as it was over, they looked into the nest, and there lay the giant's heart, an awful and ugly thing. "'Make haste, child,' said Trixie's spider. So Trixie took her bag and squeezed a drop out of it upon the heart. 
She thought she heard the giant give a far-off roar of pain, and she nearly fell from her seat with terror. The heart instantly began to shrink. It shrunk and shriveled till it was nearly gone, and Buffy Bob caught it up and put it into his bag. Then the two spiders turned and went down again as fast as they could. Before they got to the bottom they heard the shrieks of the she-eagle over the loss of her egg. But the spiders told them not to be alarmed, for her eyes were too big to see them. By the time they reached the foot of the mountain all the spiders had got home, and were busy again catching flies as if nothing had happened. After renewed thanks to their friends, the children set off, carrying the giant's heart with them. "'If you should find it at all troublesome, just give it a little more spider-juice directly,' said the grandfather, as they took their leave. Now the giant had given an awful roar of pain the moment they anointed his heart, and had fallen down in a fit, in which he lay so long that all the boys might have escaped, if they had not been so fat. One did, and got home in safety. For days the giant was unable to speak. The first words he uttered were, "'Oh, my heart! My heart!' "'Your heart is safe enough, dear Thunderthump,' said his wife. "'Really, a man of your size ought not to be so nervous and apprehensive. I'm ashamed of you.' "'You have no heart, Doodlem,' answered he. "'I assure you that at this moment mine is in the greatest danger. It has fallen into the hands of foes, though who they are I cannot tell.' Here he fainted again, for Trixie Wee, finding the heart begin to swell a little, had given it the least touch of spider-juice. Again he recovered, and said, "'Dear Doodlem, my heart is coming back to me. It is coming nearer and nearer.' After lying silent for hours, he exclaimed, "'It is in the house, I know!' And he jumped up, and walked about, looking in every corner. As he rose, Trixie Wee and Buffy Bob came out of the hole in the tree-root, and through the cat-hole in the door, and walked boldly towards the giant. Both kept their eyes busy watching him. Led by the love of his own heart, the giant soon spied them and staggered furiously towards them. "'I will eat you, vermin!' he cried. "'Here with my heart!' Trixie gave the heart a sharp pinch. Down fell the giant on his knees, blubbering and crying, and begging for his heart. "'You shall have it, if you behave yourself properly,' said Trixie. "'How shall I behave myself properly?' asked he, whimpering. "'Take all those boys and girls, and carry them home at once.' "'I'm not able.' I'm too ill. I should fall down. Take them up directly. I can't, till you give me my heart. Very well, said Trixie, and she gave the heart another pinch. The giant jumped to his feet, and catching up all the children, thrust some into his waistcoat pockets, and some into his breast pocket, put two or three into his hat, and took a bundle of them under each arm, and he staggered to the door. All this time poor Doodlem was sitting in her armchair, crying and mending a white stocking. The giant led the way to the borders. He could not go so fast but that Buffy and Trixie managed to keep up with him. When they reached the borders they thought it would be safer to let the children find their own way home, so they told him to set them down. He obeyed. "'Have you put them all down, Mr. Thunderthump?' asked Trixie Wee. "'Yes.' said the giant. 
"'That's a lie!' squeaked a little voice, and out came a head from his waistcoat pocket. Trixie wee pinched the heart till the giant roared with pain. "'You're not a gentleman. You tell stories,' she said. "'He was the thinnest of the lot,' said Thunderthump, crying. "'Are you all there now, children?' asked Trixie. "'Yes, ma'am,' returned they, after counting themselves very carefully, and with some difficulty, for they were all stupid children. "'Now,' said Trixie wee to the giant, "'will you promise to carry off no more children?' and never to eat a child again all your life. "'Yes, yes, I promise,' answered Thunderthump, sobbing. "'And you will never cross the borders of Giantland?' "'Never.' "'And you shall never again wear white stockings on a Sunday all your life long? Do you promise?' The giant hesitated at this, and began to expostulate, but Trixie Wee, believing it would be good for his morals, insisted and the giant promised. Then she required of him that, when she gave him back his heart, he should give it to his wife to take care of for him for ever after. The poor giant fell on his knees, and began to beg. But Trixie Wee, giving the heart a slight pinch, he bawled out, "'Yes, yes, Doodlem shall have it, I swear, and she must not put it in the flour-barrel or the, or the dust-hole.' "'Certainly not. Make your own bargain with her.' "'And you promise not to interfere with my brother and me, "'to take any revenge for what we have done?' "'Yes, yes, my dear children, I promise everything. "'Do, pray, make haste and give me back my poor heart. "'Wait there, then, till I bring it to you.' "'Yes, yes, only make haste, for I feel very faint.' Trixie Wee began to undo the mouth of the bag, but Buffy Bob, who had got very knowing on his travels, took out his knife, with a pretense of cutting the string, but in reality to be prepared for any emergency. No sooner was the heart out of the bag than it expanded to the size of a bullock, and the giant, with a yell of rage and vengeance, rushed on the two children, who had stepped sideways from the terrible heart. But Buffy Bob was too quick for Thunderthump. He sprang to the heart, and buried his knife in it up to the hilt. A fountain of blood spouted from it, and with a dreadful groan the giant fell dead at the feet of little Trixie Wee, who could not help being sorry for him, after all. End of the Giant's Heart From the Light Princess and Other Fairy Tales